This episode was published on Friday, December 4, 2020. In today's edition, I throw my hands up in the air over homelessness. Welcome to Curation. Ending homelessness. My friend, Armand, is homeless. It's a joyless roller coaster of ups, downs, twists, and turns that leaves everyone on the ride drained and dizzy. So when I read Angela Spinney's claim that eliminating most homelessness is achievable, I was all in. Earlier this week, Angela and the team at a hurry, Australian Housing and Urban Research Institute, published a watershed report, ending homelessness in Australia. While focused on an Australian context, the short list of recommendations applies equally to any OECD member country. Focus on prevention and early intervention rather than a largely crisis response. Ensure every person is quickly provided with appropriate assistance via a duty-to-assist protocol. Incorporate a housing-first response for people experiencing homelessness so that they can move as quickly as possible into needs and age-appropriate long-term housing options, and develop long-term plans for an adequate supply of social and affordable housing. The global rise of technology has delivered a reduction in child labor, increased life expectancy, cheaper food, better health and more leisure time. Isn't it about time technology disrupted homelessness? More than a statistic. The last time I saw Armand, I was helping him find crisis accommodation. He lay curled up on the seat of my car, eyes closed trying. Hair matted with vomit and sweat, he complained of being freezing cold and boiling hot. I set the air conditioner to medium. A perfect embodiment of the uselessness I feel when I'm trying to help him. Please, please don't make me go in there again. Please. Can't I just stay with you for a night or two while I sort myself out? As usual, I sat frozen. What Armand sees as dispassionate calm, I feel as crippling dissonance. Desperately wanting to help and painfully aware that I can't. The causes of homelessness are complex. The stereotype is that it involves mental illness and substance addiction. But the more common denominators are poverty, unemployment, and a lack of affordable adequate housing. Angela Spinney Mental illness plus substance addiction plus homelessness. Armand is the stereotype. Australia had 116,427 homeless people at last count, the US 552, 830. It appears to be an unavoidable malady. The most startling number is the percentage of people who have ever been homeless. These are people reported to have slept at least one night on the street or in a homeless shelter. 4% of Italians, 2.28 million, 6.2% of Americans, 17.98 million, and almost 8% of the UK population, 4.76 million. Dunbar suggested that the number of people one knows and keeps social contact with is 150. Someone you know has been homeless. The findings. As far as the inquiry's findings go, it's completely obvious that a coordinated, national strategy is an essential first step. What has been less obvious, prior to the last decade of trials, is the efficacy of a housing-first response. The housing-first model, prescribes safe and permanent housing, as the first priority for people experiencing homelessness. Once housing is secured, a multidisciplinary team of support workers can address complex needs through services, like drug and alcohol counseling, or mental health treatment. However, an individual's engagement with these support services is not required for them to maintain accommodation. Each individual is assisted in sustaining their housing, 
as they work towards recovery and reintegration with the community, at their own pace. Between 2012 to 2016, Norway has experienced a 36% decrease in homelessness. In Finland, four out of five homeless people make their way back into a stable life. Both follow the housing-first approach. A longitudinal study of 225 people in the USA compared the outcomes of those using traditional services and those using a housing-first program. The research found that 88% of those in the Housing First program retained their housing for two years compared to 47% in the other programs. An evaluation of the Misha project by Mission Australia from 2010-2013, which used a Housing First model, found that after two years 97% of clients were still living in secure housing, substance abuse dropped from 37% to 7%, and the associated cost savings to government equated to $8,002 per person per year. Why is Housing First so effective? Have you ever been on an extended holiday, moving from hotel to hotel, and living out of a suitcase? After a while, it becomes tiring. You don't feel settled. Hotel food gets monotonous. Maintaining a routine becomes difficult and it's harder to keep up with your friends. And that's a holiday. Imagine living out of a duffel bag. Going from couch to couch, if you're lucky, never quite knowing when you'll have to check out and find your next accommodation. There's no sightseeing, no hotel meals, no memorable photos. How do we expect people living under the stress of housing uncertainty to break free from the debilitating cycles of mental illness, substance addiction, poverty and unemployment? A new hope. What advancements in technology have the potential to deliver a positive disruption to homelessness? Housing affordability. Housing affordability increases the challenge for unemployed and low-income, no-income people to find long-term accommodation. IKEA's new collaboration, the Urban Village Project, takes its flat-packing capabilities to an ambitious level. Entire city centers of affordable living spaces. With common spaces and shared resources, this approach provides an interesting model for low-cost, high-quality urban development. A variation of this concept might provide high-density living, with co-located support services, for homeless people. Perhaps 3D printed homes will be an even better option. Icon, a construction company in Austin, Texas, and New Story, a nonprofit focusing on housing, have come up with a 3D printer that can build move and ready houses for just $4,000. The printer, called the Vulcan, is capable of printing a 650 square feet, single story home out of cement in 12 to 24 hours. Movement and employment opportunities. A significant portion of government spend on homelessness is used to fund industry employees who provide specialist support services. As automation eats the world of traditional jobs, it creates an opportunity to retrain displaced people for roles in social support. Mobile apps I guess homeless people don't represent a lucrative market for app developers, so the current pickings are slim. There are notable services that enable next-generation financial support for homeless people, Samaritan, and access to homeless resources, askizzy.org.au. But the usual product market fit booming service seems yet to be discovered. If I were to suggest a hit list of must-have, easy-to-build features, it would include 1. Easy access to an electronic health record, EHR, that could be used to share personal ID plus medical plus homeless particulars. This could be used as a low-touch way to answer the long list of questions support providers necessarily ask. 2. A list of available local resources with direct dial and chat connections. 3. Reminders for medications, prescriptions plus dosage and medical appointments. 4. 
remote check-ins with support providers, and 5. Condition tracking, activities, health, places slept, medical compliance. These solutions aren't high-tech, just basic hygiene for any useful service app. UBI and Velocity of Money UBI, Universal Basic Income, has entered the vernacular. U.S. presidential candidate, Andrew Yang, included it as part of his policy platform. It's not a new idea, and it's not exactly tech, but the utopian concept has the potential to be truly disruptive. These days, people talk of giving every citizen $1,000 per month, without a means test or work requirement. Advocates suggest it will dramatically boost GDP. Skeptics say it will lead to inflation and an idle workforce. Counterpunch provides an interesting perspective on how AUBI would fund itself here. Implementing AUBI for homeless people, along with a housing-first approach, could go a long way to solving the problem. I'm ill-equipped to go into too much detail, but here's my summary of the approach. You could assume that upwards of 80% of the UBI provided to homeless people, would be spent on goods and services. The OECD average tax-to-GDP ratio is 34.3%, 28.5% in Australia. The average velocity of money, that is, the frequency at which a unit of money is used to purchase final goods and services, averages at 7 times per year in most OECD member countries, 5 to 6 in Australia. Annual UBI of $12,000, with annual velocity of 7 times, and an average tax rate of 34% equals a self-funding UBI. Given the heavy concentration of homeless people in urban areas, a targeted UBI would deliver direct stimulus to city businesses, and possibly be self-funding. Disrupting hopelessness. On a good day, Armand hopes for a life beyond his problems. I'm hopeful the housing-first response, and affordable housing disruptions, may be the solution. That's it for today's podcast. If you'd like to see more of what I'm exploring, sign up to my free newsletter. Just go to curation.substack.com. And if you come across something you think I'd like, please email me to let me know why it's worth checking out. Articles, lectures, podcasts, books, exhibitions, whatever. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.